Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello, and welcome to episode 358 of Let's Drone Out, with everyone's favourite curry kitten. Hello. He's up there. With our new social media expert, Cole. Hello. And joining us this week as our guest, Commander Guy, Mr. 3001. A, uh, a forum helper and expert on Express LRS who's been helping people get up and running for some time and who will be joining us this week to talk about the upcoming Express LRS version 3 release and its many new features. Hi, uh, I've been active in the community for uh, about, I don't know, three quarters of a year, something like that now, I guess, something like that. Um, and yeah, I have been able, helping out a lot of people, um, doing a lot of support. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's basically it. And there is a lot of support that needs doing, right? Because there is no paid team. There, there is no support yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad. Like the devs did uh, a lot of good work, uh, getting the configurator working pretty well, and well, the docs are. Meh, but currently worked on, so I'll hope they'll get better sooner. Um, yeah, actually, the focus of a Google summer of uh, summer of documentation this year instead of summer yeah, of code. Exactly. SLRS is a candidate. Exactly. Buy that. And I have no to say, um, the the help afforded on the Discord channel for Express LRS, I keep sending people there because it's so good, and they can answer the questions way better than me. And it is a little bit scary when you get into it for the first time because it does look like you're just compiling something weird. Um, and so it's not quite as as straightforward as, as some other things, but it's certainly worth per- persevering with because as soon as you've done it a few times, it's just second nature. It just clicks. Yeah. And you're like, oh, right, I'm just doing that. Yeah, it, it, it gets easier the more you do it. Yeah, that's that's sure. One, one thing that's pretty unfortunate is also that many people just don't find the official docs um, mm. and then uh, don't know what to do, and then it's pretty intimidating having that weird configurator thingy, and you have to do something with it, <clears throat> and then it cries on you that it didn't work for no apparent reason. Um, you press the button and you think you're going to upload firmware, and then you get like 3,000 lines of confusing printout that mean nothing to you. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Like you're suddenly on uh, Mr. Robot or something, and you wonder what's going to happen. So, yeah, there, there are still a couple of things that aren't perfect, but yeah. So that, that configurator part, that's essentially the result of needing to compile the firmware targets, right, which is both a blessing and a curse. Uh, up until now, it's allowed for very rapid iteration and people could make massive changes and add new features in. But going forward, I understand they're actually going to be um, uploading the firmware and having something a bit more like what Betaflight does with its unified targets, right? Yeah, it it is already implemented in the release candidate, from what I know. Um, it's basically a unified target um, system quite like Betaflight has. Um, that you just have a single firmware and no options or similar are compiled into the firmware. So, for example, what the firmware internally uh, has to store is like on which pins on the controller are the is the the RF chip located and stuff like that. Um, something the user has never never has to care about, um, but which is really important for the software itself. Um, and stuff like that 
has always been compiled into the firmware directly and yeah won't be from now on but uh, is rather a mm. uh, runtime option so basically think of it as a file uh, where you have one line uh, for every thing that you have to have to configure so like um, I don't know I, I let me think of a good example um, so up until now the path phrase best, for example yeah, exactly. If you want to set a binding uh, phrase best, that actually got built into the firmware. Phrase. Exactly. Right. Um, so you, you'd want to build in things like which pins are the RF chip connected, uh, which pins is the, is the UART that the MCU expects me to, to flash it on and things like this that, that are kind of the same for almost all targets, but you might want to allow provision for, hey, this one's got an RGB LED. Or, hey, yeah, exactly. Stuff, stuff like that. that. RGB LEDs. Um, that's, and then there's the user the stuff like kind of stuff here's that. my passphrase or here's my telemetry ratio. So exactly, and that's I mean tele- telemetry ratio is still an option that's sent by the uh, by the transmitter, um, which is not uh, based on the receiver. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, bind phrase is the best example of uh, the unified targets um, that you can just basically edit. Uh, it right from the web UI on the receiver or transmitter. So you just let it go into Wi-Fi mode or put it in Wi-Fi mode from the Lua script, as you would also for updating on water and whatnot. And then you just connect to the web page and can change the passphrase there, oh, that's um, cool. which is quite useful <laughs> and makes... So just a little trip through... Sorry, go ahead. Finish that bit and yeah. I was going to do a little rewind on the Wi-Fi part. Uh, yeah, it, it makes like. I mean, there's there's also I, I was just about to say uh, making like sharing something uh, way simpler, but well, that's even simpler uh, with the uh, loaning model or the the loaning feature that's also new in Elars uh, v3. So they've done an actual bump to share, right? You you can select something you want to share with someone. You can actually hit your transmitter module to theirs or something like that? That was some novel thing. Yeah, that, 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 that is a thing. Unfortunately, only with the, uh, with the what is it? Uh, a, a, give me a second. It needs a, like an IMU in the TX, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, that, uh, that's only yeah. by the, uh, I can't some remember. Specific the model. Uh, if you've got a that, specific that, model that, of that TX. That's a super expensive one. Uh, the axis flying. Access flying, yeah, right. Uh, can't remember the name sometimes. So if you're lucky enough to have a really expensive transmitter, then you can show off by by bumping transmitters with other people who also bought the really expensive transmitter, and they can basically borrow your model, and they'll get control of it for a flight. So basically, yeah. we're encouraging people to do dry humping with their expensive transmitters. <laughs> Yeah, it's the next logical progression from illuminated groins, Curry. First the groin LEDs, then the dry humping. That sounds fair. Yeah, makes sense. All checks out. Uh, You mentioned Wi-Fi there, so I was just going to go on this brief kind of rewind through Wi-Fi. Originally, these things didn't have Wi-Fi because they started out with the R9 module like Curry has, and people very quickly discovered that STM32 chips were flying up in price. So they got this little ESP chip, and that was super cheap. And as a bonus, it had Wi-Fi. So people thought, oh, well, I guess we could just do a Wi-Fi upload. And they made it do a little access point. You could do Wi-Fi on it. And uh, then someone said, well, if we're going to do that, I suppose we could, um, you know, when we do the, the PWM configuration, we can pop that on there. And now it sounds like with V3, I hadn't checked it out myself, but it, it includes the model ID for the transmitter. It's had that on before. And with V3, we're getting a whole bunch of extra Wi-Fi features, not least the um, the thing you just mentioned, which I've completely blanked on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot, like the, the whole configuration thingy, except bind phrase usually, um, is something bind that phrase. the user doesn't really has to care about. Um, because what is connected to what pin and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, power users or users that like build their own receivers right now or whatever, um, they might care about it, but every normal user won't have to care about it. And rumors I have heard um, 
with the unified targets as they don't have any uh, compiled firmware options. Um, you could technically do uh, OTA updates by uh, now. So that means um, you could send it from Basically, the transmitter from the TX to the RX, right? Yeah, or from RX to RX. I don't exactly know yet how it would look, and it's. I have only heard rumors so far, but from what I know, it should be a lot easier to do, because until now, you couldn't uh, necessarily like move one or move move the firmware from one receiver to another without. Uh, Without because you had like, 20 different options for receivers, so you couldn't possibly have all of those loaded onto your transmitter. There wasn't enough. Yeah, space. that's exactly yeah. that's that's part of the problem. And the other problem is, uh, you you could take one, in theory, and flush it to all, but it wouldn't be like uh, guaranteed to work because some receivers like. I don't know, Beta FPV has some and Matek has the receivers with PA and LNA um, for better telemetry and better range. Um, those need extra pins to work. Um, and a lot of the, the receivers are basically the same and use the same layout and the same pins, etc. And internally also use the same targets, really. Um, but they just fudge it so that you can have the manufacturer's name on so everyone's happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's basically what the configurator does in many cases. Um, okay, so the, you're, you're basically putting all the core options into the firmware, and then there's just going to be a bunch of little configuration files that say, oh, yeah, this one's got an LNA on it, this one's got an RGB on it, and... And then another configuration file that sits on top of that, well, which says, "Oh, yeah, you, you can, you can, you can, you can think of it like configuration files." Yeah, it's it's not really technically not really a file, um, but yeah, you, you can low level. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, There's yeah, the right. You, you can you can you can think of it like a file. Speaking so there's magic stuff. Speaking of that, getting too low level and, and and maybe losing a few people there, we've got a question from Lurgy. Who says, so a question from a computer illiterate guy, what's so great about ELRS to make it worth all that messing around to make it work? Well, I can give you my opinion first off before we get everybody else's. From my point of view, the receivers are very cheap. You can have any receiver to any module, so you Mm -hmm. don't have to buy one brand of anything. Um, And the range is good, and it's very low latency if you want it to be. And uh, what I keep saying, because people are saying, oh, why should I do this instead of R9, for example, because people still ask that question. I said, well, how many people R9 ask has you a- that? More than multiple. One? And I'm like, really? well, R9 hasn't been touched in many years, and ExpressLRS is being hmm. developed all the time, and new features are coming, like what we're talking about today. So that's a, a good reason right. to stick around. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I'd say versus Crossfire, you've got Crossfire at 150 hertz, and everyone knows it doesn't really stay there for long. Express LRS can do 500 hertz, so it gives you like super hardcore race performance at the same sort of range that Crossfire 900 megahertz would give you. And Crossfire in the UK is about 30 pound a receiver. Express LRS I can get for about 11 pounds, so so third the price and about the same performance in range and much faster um, response time. Uh, Commander guy. Yeah, I, I think you you named pretty much all the the big advantages of Express of Express LRS there. Um, it's yeah, it's it's really cheap. Um, it's actually not that hard to do. Um, yeah, there are many options for different receivers and transmitters that basically all work together. Um, the only big advan or the only big good thing. Not- that uh, that R9 has, you can flash it to uh, to Express LRS. <laughs> yes, already done that. The Wi-Fi stuff is kind of funky as well. I've also been enjoying the the Bluetooth, like being able to use the module as a Bluetooth joystick was a neat trick. Yeah, that 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 sure 
is a nice thing. Only, only unfortunate about that is that it sometimes it doesn't seem to work with iPhones, and it doesn't oh, yeah. always work with Android phones. And it's all about that, Curry. No, <laughs> I, I, I did. There. I did raise an issue. The end. The, the Android thing wasn't working. And yeah, it's never going to work with iPhones because iPhone won't let you. Yeah, iPhone is iPhone, so what do you expect? Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, Android. Uh, I mean, Bluetooth. Bluetooth is Bluetooth is Bluetooth, so he can't really like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's already hard to find a a joystick library. Like I, I oh, yeah. think there's a single joystick library for Bluetooth out there for the ESP32. A single one ah, that I know. And no one's improved it for a few years. I'm not yeah. sure, but yeah, it can't be can't be that much. It was a little bit more. iffy. It, it worked in most games, but I, what I got really great results with was after I put this little gizmo together, if I can just get a lid off what I did. Um, I had a, a DIY Express LRS receiver sitting around because it had bad telemetry range. It just wasn't really worth it for me. I wanted something that did good telemetry range. But hey, it's still a receiver. It was a bit bigger than some of the happy model ones. So I thought, what can I use it for? And the answer came to me in, in this little box where I, I put it in there with one of these Raspberry Pi RP2040 devices with a USB-C plug. And that's now a USB uh, joystick receiver. So I plug that into USB-C and it shows up as a joystick. And then I turn oh, on my neat. radio and voila, I've got whatever radio I pick up is just appearing as a joystick. Got, uh, got just a couple of questions coming. I'm just going to highlight on the screen here. Oh, yeah. So uh, Drone Free Droid is saying, how is 2.4 gigahertz outperforming 900 megahertz? Well, it doesn't in range, but it, it can go much faster in speed. So is 900, what, is it still max of... Well, is it yes one and no. Hundred, 200 hertz 200. is the the maximum for 900 megahertz radio, I think, and with two and four gigahertz, yeah, we're up to a thousand hertz now. So yes, and you can you can fly 900 megahertz on Express LRS as well, so you're not limited to 2.4. So all other things being equal, 900 megahertz is obviously a better choice because it's going to go further, it's going to punch through more objects, but because the chief 900 megahertz system is Crossfire, and Crossfire has very large bits of data. When Crossfire sends its data, it's like throwing this huge block of, of radio data out there all at once. And that means there's more chance of some of it getting lost, and what turns up at the other end can't be read. It's just useless. Well, the Express LRS is sending very small little chunks, and that means the likelihood of them getting through and arriving the other end is, is larger. It's less prone to interference, um, it, it's making better use of the available bandwidth. So whereas Crossfire might flake out at a certain LQ, I, I don't fly Crossfire, I flew Tracer, and that would go down to maybe sort of 50, but below 50 it gets quite flaky. People doing long range on Express LRS are flying down to single digit LQ numbers before that actually drops out and loses connection. So it's, yeah. it's making much better use of the available link bandwidth. And the, the other thing with 2.4 gigahertz versus 900 megahertz is um, even with 2.4 gigahertz at just 100 milliwatts of TX power um, and 500 hertz, you get, uh, if with good conditions, like 20 kilometers of range with 500 hertz and go outperform that first and then go talk about 900 megahertz being better. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, a lot of people who fly Crossfire, they're flying uh, a bando and they're probably never more than 200 meters from their quad, right? So yeah. the absolute range isn't a problem as much as kind of convenience and the ecosystem. And so long as you can meet a decent amount of range, that's what matters. Yeah. And technically, 900 megahertz in terms of penetration and range is just better. That's just physics. Uh, but... The, or the, the, or the, the advantages UK. are pretty negligible, I think. Uh, and the other question we got there, and I think there's discussion going on about this, is is Mavlink working over ELRS? 
Which is uh, quite no, a specific question. No, no, it is not. Uh, and will it, I suppose, is the follow-up question for there. Is, is, is anything being developed there, or is that not on the radar at the moment? Well, the devs have mentioned numerous times by now that they will not do Mavlink support um, for many reasons. Um, I'd, I'd have to look them all up, but there are quite a few reasons uh, not to do Mavlink, mostly because it uh, would make Express LRS not Express and not long range anymore. <laughs> so it would Which kind of leaves purpose. RS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As as I understand it, this is anecdotal evidence. I don't use it myself, but my my info was that although Crossfire does this, it does it in some weird way that isn't right. This this is very anecdotal from people that have, have tried doing it, and it's all a bit weird. But Mavlink yeah. is a very I'm going to say over engineered protocol. It there's a lot to it, isn't there? There's a there's much, much, much there. I've, I've, I've also heard about Methlink being quite weird on Crossfire a couple times already. So yeah, I do believe that. <laughs> I think it works and, on OpenHD, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, Methlink is very popular for OpenHD. Yes, yeah. Exactly Probably how the right much place to do it because you've got supported. I don't know. Yeah, you've got you've got loads of loads of chatty space to talk about. Mavlink's less of a like a low latency control protocol and more of like a messaging protocol, really, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Yeah. Yes, as far as I can tell, all it does is keep telling me Compass is crazy whenever I've tried to fly anything uh, remotely to do with. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the what's the what's the flight controller? Ardu Pilot. It just says Compass is crazy. Mavlink messages coming in, and if you look at what what the Mavlink message you are, you're presented with what looks like an Excel spreadsheet, which you have to scroll down for about fifty pages to find the message you're looking at. It reminds me of yeah. back in the old days in IBM working on SNA protocol and like X twenty five and looking up all these messages in mainframe books and trying to work stuff out. PTSD basically, or the IT yeah. equivalent thereof. Yeah, exactly. But to, to get back to the to the original question mm. with Mavlink. Mifling real quick. Um, I think there is a project out there somewhere that basically forked Express LRS and yeah. uh, made it Mifling compatible. It's just, yeah, it's not obviously not keeping up with the main project. So you could get Mifling with something Express LRS-like similar thingy, but you obviously do lose some features. I think it's called MLRS. Yeah, I remember seeing a fork. There was also a fork for someone who implemented full range servo stuff. I note with amusement that in the uh, V3 release, we've actually got a bunch of fixed wing modes for fixed wing people. Um, so yeah. it looks like you can, instead of doing four channels at up to 500 hertz, you can now do Four channels at 1,000 hertz with FLRC because someone wanted to see how fast they could run the FLRC modem. You can also scale that <laughs> yeah. to a, a more sedate 333 hertz and get, I think, eight channels at full blast 333. Or you can scale it back a bit further and get, like, is it eight channels at 166 and another eight channels at at one hundred, or or sixteen mm, channels one hundred, something like this. Anyway, it can do up to sixteen channels with ten bit precision on yeah. those channels. Yeah, we we have uh, all AOX channels in full res now, as an option. Mm. So if you want to twiddle at your flaps and get them just so, you find that you you didn't one hundred and twenty eight positions weren't enough, and you needed just to be able to tune those. <laughs> And now you're able to. To be fair, flaps are normally zero, fifty, hundred. But things like uh, Pantil was a, mm. was a real popular yeah. one that fixed yeah. wing pilots were doing. Where it's like, I don't like this jerkiness, especially if you like head tracking and stuff. You like no one nice wants to do the robot. No, yeah. exactly. So I, I suppose we should we should ask what what are the what are the big features 
that uh, you want people to know about in in version three? Because of course the release candidate is out. I think and, uh, the people can try it. I think the biggest ones are definitely FLRC um, and thousand hertz. Um, obviously, you mentioned it already. Uh, multiple or more than just the four standard full res channels. Um, uh, Deja Vu Diversity 8 is also a big one. Um, if you've heard about that already. Is, is this the, the idea of no, the, the, the proper diversity receivers? So like independent. Is, oh, is it going to be that, like... That's slightly different to normal diversity. Oh, I think of something else. Yeah. Come on, I mean, it's, wanna... it's, it's part. It's part of it. Um, the Deja so, Vu uh, element specifically, that's the, the real... So DVDA in general. Um, so if I talk about DVDA, I mean Deja Vu Diversity Ed. Um, it's basically um, you use FLRC uh, 1000 Hertz mode in the background, and then you send every packet twice. Um, or four times. And try to receive it, or four times, um, two or four times, exactly, and try to receive it. Um, which gives you a less or smaller upda uh, update rate, but gives you, in some circumstances, much higher LQ and much more consistent link quality, um, which definitely is a big thing you want to have, for example, for racing. Um, you want the more link quality you can get, the better. Um, and uh, also, yeah, Deja Vu Diversity 8 also has the option to use multiple RF chips, um, from what I know. And basically, then, if we send every packet twice and we have two RF chips, we use or we try to use one for the first packet and the other one for the second packet to receive it, um, which probably <laughs> uh, helps. I don't think anyone really has fully tested that yet or put it to its limits. So this is all about keeping that rock solid 100 link quality for, for all the racers exactly. who think that things are going to slip slightly out of whack and feel funny if it if it drops below 100. Yeah. So is, is exactly. there any possibility of, of the, the messages arriving out of order? if you're sending things twice, or is that not how RF stuff works? Basic, simple answer to that is no. Um, Would it be like bullet? The answer is, fundamentally. well, it's it's basically like uh, uh, like reflection uh, with, with an analog video feed. Uh, there you see it quite often. Oh. Um, but that's just the RF part, and that's not really important because you can. That's that's a very neg neg negligible effect. So, a simple answer to that is no. <laughs> Unless your quad is moving at relativistic speeds, in which case you've probably got other issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, is it is it still fair to say that Express LRS is mainly focused on speed? Because I. I if I'm if I'm right, it was sort of developed about like we need the ultimate link quality for our racing, and we want that ultra low latency. Is is that what still pushes it forwards? I I mean, well the 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 long range part we've pretty much perfectly achieved by now. So I mean, let me let me give give the calculator a spin for a second. Um, if we go for th full. One watt you of output power. Flash up the, the long range charts and see what, what the record's currently at because last time it was pretty ludicrous. Because there's always some guy that's flying at like 10 milliwatts and is doing 50 kilometers, <laughs> isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have Wes, a couple of people. Wes, actually, done... Wes, okay. Wes is, I think, the current record holder for yeah. 10 milliwatts. <laughs> um, at 10 milliwatts, 900 megahertz, uh, I think 50 hertz is it? Um, and he did. 40 kilometers on that or was it 35 so yeah so and, and, that, and I, th I think that that 
so he didn't fail safe at that distance and I think he had to return because his battery was about to die um, <laughs> was that I'm one of those sure. suboptimal landings where he had to go and fish it out of a lake or something uh, I'm I'm not sure we'd have to take a look at the DVR Let's a couple of people have also done um, 10k on 10 milliwatt one person did yeah. 10k at 500 hertz on 10 milliwatt so yeah. Yeah, this is I, why I, I always say when people look at one watt transmitters just don't bother like I've, I've got something that can do 500 milliwatt and I've never taken them beyond 250 and when I had it at yeah. 250 I only needed that because it turned out I'd forgotten to screw the antenna on properly <laughs> oh, ouch. Well, yeah. I was flying across a field of Mac, and it turns out, they, oh, yeah, I had like an RP SMA and an SMA, and there was no pin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, wrong antenna. <laughs> Took it off, put a pin in it. That's better. <laughs> and now I only need yeah. 50 more. What? <laughs> Almost too forgiving. Yeah, I mean, Luckily the hardware didn't burn out. You, usually, usually, people like are like, yeah, I want to do long range, five, ten kilometers, whatever, and I want to get a one watt transmitter. What for? <laughs> like, Are you planning to I, be underwater in a submarine while you do this? <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, um, thing is, like, one watt does have its advantages. For example, if you're, I don't know, in in a big concrete building or what not. Um, yeah. And you just, when you're coupling it with a video system at 5.8, you say, you know, 900 is better than 2.4. Well, 2.4 is a lot yeah. better than 5.8. So if your video system is yeah, exactly. 5.8 and your video system's at 3 watts, you at 500 milliwatt on 2.4, probably doing all right. Yeah. How, how many people are flying with more than a, a 1.5 watt system on their video? It's not many. Few. People do just become obsessed with this. Uh, I remember Beta FPV bringing out the one watt and I was like what's this for and they're like oh people want it but then again beta FPV didn't understand why people are flying at 500 hertz they're like why would you go above 150 I was like it's what the racers do Uh, so yeah fingers not quite on the pulse over there at that company but you know which, which is often the case because it's like I mean one one thing we keep hearing about is when manufacturers don't talk to the devs and express LRS and just do their own thing and it's Express LRS guys sort of catch the flack for it and have to kind of code around the the problems that uh, other manufacturers manufacturers are doing because they haven't like given the hardware over and says this is what we've done is it okay yeah which it often isn't. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Which we three mode gives you good range, but gives a good link well, uh, link for flying through benders, etc. Um, I think it depends. You'll uh, have to try it out yourself. Um, you can just start uh, what what I usually do uh, when when scouting out a place is um, I uh, I just stand or sit down wherever I'll be for flying. And then let a friend walk around with my quad everywhere where I'll be flying and then see where I get a good link and how good my link is. And then based on that, uh, I decide on what I'm going to use, which has always worked out pretty well for me. Um, What's your go-to mode for general purpose flying? Do you stick it on 500 hertz and leave it at that or do you pick it up and down? I, I personally, I personally, for freestyle, I just put it at 500 hertz um, and leave it at that because it works uh, and it's well good enough. Um, obviously, I have dynamic power enabled. That's one thing I would definitely recommend you to do. Um, Should we just pause and uh, double click on that a little bit? Dynamic power. So people might have seen that setting. What does it do exactly? Dynamic power basically, uh, well, as the name says, it dynamically adjusts the transmitter output power 
um, based on link quality and RSSI. So if either link quality or RSSI get below a certain threshold, um, then it uh, ups the power output, output power of the transmitter to get better link quality and uh, and better RSSI. Do we know what and the, the, the threshold the same, is approximately if you were looking the, at... The, the threshold the is weird in the code. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a, a huge yeah, construct of of not quite nicely written code and weird edge cases and but this is good right because the thing that kicks other projects in the butt tends to be that the weird edge edge cases are only discovered after it's been released yeah but in that case it's edge case like i think if you would actually like think about how you really want to do it then you could uh, crunch those like I don't know thirty lines of of code or something like that down to half of that, and still have the exact same functionality. We don't um, your PR. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> let me let me just pull up the code. Oh, so okay, this this brings us weird. to something that another guy said. Uh, I think it's Captain Bry who freely admitted the code wasn't great. And that was one of the things that made it kind of difficult to interact with other projects. Like there's this large morass of changing code with lots of interdependencies. uh, And that caused it to be pretty difficult to integrate with with Betaflight, 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 Betaflight. We don't know. Betaflight, we do know. (laughs) Betaflight, yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What language are we speaking and where are we from, Cole? (laughs) Canadian, Canadian English. Sounded quite Australian there for a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what I just did with my voice for a second. Um, yeah, so it made it pretty difficult to integrate into beta flight, um, which has caused some consternation with V3, right? That they've got to V3 and said, well, we've, we've changed the, the way we structure the data when we send it over the air. We've changed a lot of the features. Um, it's it's a different code base now, but Betaflight 4.3 has released with version 2 for the SPI receiver, and, and now ExpressLRS is about to drop version 3 all of a sudden. Quite a while after V2 was released, but unfortunately very soon after Betaflight 4.3 was released, and it's got itself into a bit of a pickle because um, it's kind of awaiting some kind soul on the Betaflight side to take a huge amount of express LRS changes and condense them down and there's uh, an awareness on the express LRS side that all these fantastic new link modes like deja vu diversity are not going to feature in beta flight because they would literally crucify the f411 processor and leave it with no cycles to do anything like run a pit loop for example which it kind yeah. of yeah, def- definitely not anytime soon. I'm sure about that. Um, unless someone comes out with like an H7 SPI receiver or AIO, but I doubt that. <laughs> well, we have one, um, right? There's Hydra, and that everyone else is running F411s. So there's one that can absolutely do it with cycles to spare. And then there's well, okay, yeah. 95% of boards that are out in the market which can't. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you're, you're talking about an important point there. Uh, SPI receivers in general are a pretty, well, a mess basically. <laughs> um, can't put it any any different, really. Um, the, the problem is with SPI receivers, first, you gotta have a Betafly re- release for every change that ExpressLRS makes to the OTA protocol. Um, because otherwise it can't talk to the TX, right? Exactly. Or it, you, you can think of it like a language barrier, basically. Um, every time we change the OTA protocol, we are basically speaking in a, in a different language. And well, if you don't learn that language, you can't understand it. Um, that's that's a pretty nice analogy, I think. Um, 
the the problem well, is misinterpret it and uh, take it to exactly inside. exactly, and that does happen if you have a flight uh, controller that's on beta flight 4.3 RC2 or earlier, I think it is, or if so, definitely on RC1. Um, and I think pre-RC2, basically. Um, I'm not 100% sure about... Yeah, no, Revit. <laughs> uh, Sorry, that's just a little joke there for audio listeners. Uh, Robert Ambulance decided to say he thought it was pronounced Butterflight, um, bit the less popular project, um, which has now vanished. Um, yes, to be reborn as EMU Flight once they've finished merging all, in all the PRs that make up Beta Flight 4.3, maybe at some <laughs> point in 2023, when Beta Flight 4.5 will be releasing. We'll see. Uh, I doubt that 4.5 will be released in 2023. Six months from schedule? Six months? That's what they're saying? Schedule yeah. schedule. 4.3 has been going for like two years, isn't it? Yeah, well... It, yeah, I'm, exactly. So... <laughs> Detour into the weeds. There's been a lot of uh, personnel changes through the 4.3 release, I think, and uh, some people have come on board, others have left, and uh, yeah, I, th I think the next release is going to be a hell of a lot quicker than 4.3 was. Um, they're, they're preparing the features to go in it right now, um, and there's appetite to do it quickly. We shall see. Well, where were we? SPI receivers, right? Um, the thing with F SPI receivers is um, support there is depending on Betaflight. Um, if Betaflight doesn't update, they code for basically interpreting uh, Eloris uh, packets, then yeah, it won't work. Um, and the dev who implemented it in the first place is only a single person, which Basically, everyone has, huh? Was that Phobos? I might be. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So the idea there was the original yet. incentive was to save on bill of materials, right? That by simply attaching the SX twelve eighty, which is the and radio board space, and yeah, board space yeah. on AIOs, which is a big thing you have to consider when building AIOs. Yeah. You're trying to get fit ESCs on there at the same time, exactly. but it means they lose out on cool things like there's no Wi-Fi because there's no ESP on there, which has the Wi-Fi on it. Yep, you so do it, lose out on a couple interesting yeah. features, and so obviously it, you lose out on ELS V3 going forward, probably, mm -hmm. likely. <laughs> um. So is there is there no appetite from Betaflight to sort of always take the latest the next time they do a a release? I don't know. As as I said, that that one dev, I th yeah, Phobos. Um, well, basically everyone depends on him and has to wait for him to decide if he wants to do it. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, someone else could pick it up, basically uh, theoretically, but I doubt anyone will. Um, because, yeah, it would be a huge amount of work to do. And um, honestly, if, if the community and the manufacturers could shift to simply attaching via a UART, they would gain access to these Wi-Fi features, which are colossally useful. And, and with V3, we've got another really useful Wi-Fi feature that's relevant to Betaflight, right? Yeah, right. We have... Uh, Betaflight configuration via Wi-Fi now. That means it's it, it no USB. Awesome idea. Right. For everybody that's used the, the sort of things like, is it the Speedy B? They did the adapters, didn't they? Yes, Speedy B. Yeah. basically make it on your phone, but without silly adapters. Yeah. Yep. Just for your Just receiver. Just your standard Express Alaris receiver. That's also one big disadvantage of PPU receivers or STM32-based receivers. Um, they don't support Wi-Fi and obviously lose out or miss out on those features, which is quite unfortunate. But uh, I'm at least no one makes them anymore, from what I know. So 
It's just the R9 hardware, really. Yeah, really, yeah. <clears throat> Don't worry about that. That's, um, that's going to go away and die eventually. Yeah. People all People stop messaging me to ask why they should bother converting, please. Fed up with it. <laughs> yeah. So I tried this, and it's uh, surprisingly easy. I, um, I flashed my radio and uh, receiver to version 3, and I um, connected them, you know, switched on the radio, switched on the quad, and I went into the lower script and said, Wi-Fi, turn on RX Wi-Fi. And then I opened Betaflight Configurator, the build where this is included. And uh, it just appears in the dropdown, like you would next to the USB port. You click dropdown, and all of a sudden, it's detected that there's a Wi-Fi connected uh, Betaflight instance there. And you go, oh, yeah, that address. And whoop, there you are in Betaflight. It Beta just Flight. works. There's no wires. It's magic. For, for all the people out there thinking that they can do everything via Wi-Fi, um, unfortunately, I have to say not everything works about, uh, over Wi-Fi. For example, you cannot do or use the standard CLI um, via Wi-Fi. And obviously, you cannot update Betaflight via Wi-Fi. Those are your RX channels either. So if you're trying to see your, uh, your, your mapping to make sure your channels are mapped, that's not going to work because it turns that's off the link between the radio work, and yeah. So yeah, it's so it's kind of a shame that the things that would really benefit this are the tiny little whoops where you can never get a USB cable in without those awful ninety degree adapters that just bend and break because they've got SPI, and uh, that would be yeah. really cool just to be able to connect easily, wouldn't it? Them's the yeah, ones. I mean, I, I from from to my knowledge, there are a couple few uh, UART based. AIOs out there that actually have the ESP8285 built in um, and basically have a full Express LRS uh, receiver. Rabbit Ambulance's favorite GHEMCU, of course, the uh, GF405S is a 1 to 2S board with uh, UART connected. And there were a phase of these before SPI was bigged up as being this amazing feature for pilots that would save hardware vendors 20 cents, um, which was, of course, amazing for pilots. Yeah, it, it was. There were, there were a rash of boards from Beta FPV and others that were connected via a UART, but unfortunately, they were super. Yeah, yeah and I, I actually I hope that, we're, that we'll see those come back at some point. Because they are just superior for for many things. Uh, SPIA-based receivers were good, while version two, ILRS version two, was in basically. But as soon as version three is out of the RC phase now, um, yeah, it's a ticking People clock. Expect some updates and. You'll probably be able to continue running 500 hertz mode on them, but they're not going to get the fancy modes. And like we said, trying to run a thousand hertz updates on an F411 is it's going to be problems. Yeah, that, that's that's an entirely different problem. Yeah, it's okay if you fly anything like me. You can't tell the difference between like 150 and 500. So I don't think I'm going to be able to tell a thousand from 500. Somehow, yeah. it's just like yeah, my thumb moves. It does a wiggle. That's good enough. Yeah. Just talking to young teenagers with ninja-like reflexes, they're the, they're the market for that. It's all in their imagination. I think for racing. They can't tell. Give me a blind test. I want to see it. That would be <laughs> interesting. Oh, no, we did get, um, was it Limon and uh, Mr. Nice? They did a test a while ago, and they guessed it right eight out of ten times, but then uh, Stinger Swarm and Bardwell did it, and they were no better than 50-50. So basically... Uh, Old guys who can't, who don't race, can't tell the difference. Um, if you're a racer, maybe you can. Yeah, old guy doesn't race. You're looking at him. I'm the target market for a slow. <laughs> I mean, I, you, I need you know, to... we could. We know how long it takes to do a snap roll on the sticks. We're not looking at has the quad finished rotating. It's just muscle memory snap roll, isn't it? That's nothing more. Yeah, I need a new fork called retired at LRS. I think that'd be my sort of speed. <laughs> So the question I was asking before we came 
on board, um, and I, I don't know if Commander Guy's been able to research it since, is about we've had these... This is going back to the fixed-wing people with old types of aircraft. If, for fixed-wing people, the fact you've got all these full-range channel means if you're using iNav, you can just put the receiver into iNav, you've got all these full-range channels, you're, you're golden. If you're going into your more conventional plane where it needs more than four channels, I was asking about, because we've had things from Maytech and Happy Model where we've essentially got a sort of traditional-looking receiver and it's got um, PWM pins and you can take that directly into servos and there's like a special code for it. And I was asking, um, are, are they going to have receivers with more channels and commander guy wasn't sure if there were enough pins on the the chips to actually do this i don't don't know if you had an answer for that more more channels definitely yes i just don't know how many exactly um i've not yet been able to count all it through all of it um but i'm pretty sure yeah there will be quite a lot more channels so even if even if you get to like eight that covers most people when they, they, they're they getting a bit fancy with their gliders and they want like crow breaking and flapperons and stuff like that. That can happen in the future, which is which is nice. Hey. So to to give some credit, some more credit to Matek uh, for a second here, um, I think the easiest option right now for people who want to do fixed wings and really need those eight or whatever channels, um, Matek has a crossfire or a CRSF protocol to PWM converter, which uh, has, I think, 12 outputs, 12 PWM outputs. And with uh, ELRS now carrying more than just the standard four full rest channels, you can obviously use that and have more than just four PWM full rest channels on the converter. Which is pretty cool. I always, I, I only consider this for myself because over on that wall, I've got my beloved Mini Talon, which has a Vector um, autopilot in it, which no one would have heard of here. But uh, Eagle Tree went out of business, so they haven't come around to the idea of CRSF. So you can do S bus, but at the moment, I've got who remembers the FreeSky LR9? I've got one of those receivers in it, and I, I'm always thinking I'd like to replace that because then I can go past that six-kilometer threshold where it ran out of RSSI. And yeah, so Maytech uh, do a ready-made one called a Vario receiver, which is a seven-channel, but they also do breakout boards up to 10-channel, and that just takes a CRSF signal and breaks it out onto pins. Yeah, and I, I think until manufacturers start actually producing more than just the standard five or may take seven channel uh, PWM output receiver, uh, I think that's actually the best option to just get a standard Express LRS receiver um, and then get the Crossfire or CRSF to PWM converter and use that to have all those juicy channels nice yeah and then you also get nice things like it includes a current meter and includes a gps reader i think the fancy one has that as well so you can see the voltage the current and a gps location without needing a flight controller yeah they are definitely a lot of neat features okie dokie so i feel like we've covered quite a few of the the features there i was going to talk a bit more about the community because i feel like where you've added a huge amount of value and I, I should also mention uh, maybe your, your partner in crime and the ever-present deadbite as well who has basically yeah, kept it definitely. ticking he doesn't sleep he just answers questions i do wonder if he's a robot if he's not a robot then he's he's taken some monastic vow to help express lrs it's incredible well the the, the big problem is that deadbite actually does sleep from time to time <laughs> Um, and that there are some dead times uh, at some points when I'm not there and Deadbite also isn't there. And yeah, then support requests pile up in the support channel. So yeah, it would be great if we could get some more. We used to call NIT a follow the sun support model. 
So we need someone who's awake when you two are asleep, right? Yeah, exactly. Some guy in England and then some guy, I don't know, let's go to US and then Australia and there's always going to be someone there. So but I suppose... Asia and you're Europe? Does that mean that oh, we need America? I'm, I'm, yes, yes, something like that. So Dubai usually is, uh, goes to sleep like three hours ago from now, so... And yeah. I'll go to sleep yeah. about two hours. I, I suppose the question is, are you getting a commonality in the requests where you can actually say, oh, we need to fix this? Or are you just getting the typical, and you know, I get this in YouTube all the time, where someone says, I tried it and it didn't work. It's like that's that's the amount of detail you're given. It's like, well, let me let me fix that for you because I know exactly what you mean. Of course you don't because people <laughs> are, are terrible at diagnosing their own problems. It's... So I'm guessing if you get a commonality of like, oh, everybody's stuck on this, you fix it, as opposed to like, don't work, pressed button. <laughs> that was about it. Um, well, both both happen. So sometimes or often there are people that uh, so that just ask if someone is around to help. Um, with what do you need help, and what's your problem? Uh, is always like the first question that comes to mind with those people. Um, and then there are the people that go right to the help and support channel and say, hey, I have this problem. This doesn't work. Configurator tells me to do this. Um, so here it is. And uh, I need help. And the, the the second type of fuel is definitely easier to work with usually. Um, but yeah it's a challenge that the worst is people who come in support channels and go can can i get any support here and yes you are in the help and support channel yeah fortunately we don't have too many of those usually <laughs> basically it's not fun to work in support well it's okay depending on your user base when i used to work in support professionally the users that called me had to pass an exam to say they were up to this sort of specification so you could talk in the same language. When you've got all in sundry just asking any question you like, <laughs> I can imagine that can get interesting. Though, so, I mean, I do have to admit, uh, support is quite hard and sometimes a little annoying to do, um, but it is really rewarding. Um, and it it does have its own like uh i don't i don't know how to how to describe it um i suppose you have a sense of educating people and uh, and setting them off cleverer than they were before yeah that 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 sure is part of it um <clears throat> i i don't i don't quite i'm 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 missing the voc- vocabulary to to describe that um but yeah, if 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 you if you know how to do support and um, if you if you like know all the the common problems and things like that, then it's actually not that hard to support people because mm-hmm. you're just pulling with a library. With, got. Yeah, you you kind of have like a a list in the mind of things that usually are problems for or issue or the the roots of some problem um and then you just yeah check it if that if all all the the like i hear typing are you searching for the translation yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) support is you end Um, up a a lot of pre-written fixes and you're just like oh yeah these are the top 10 things that people break if you have an answer ready to go for each yeah, kind of. Um, so a couple of things that, like, one of one of those sentences I pretty much perfected, I think, by now, um, is when people uh, send an image of the red arrow box in the configurator, which tells them to send the arrow log above. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, well, obviously people didn't read it. Um, which is quite funny, but yeah, I, I do pretty much have uh, a a single 
two-line sentence by now that I can just write every time, uh, and it's impossible, I've been impossible to do it. Keyboard now, so it's just a key combo you do. Please paste yeah, your. Yeah, no, I'm 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 working on too too many different computers for that to be uh, of any usefulness. So and working from phone sometimes too. So yeah. <laughs> But it is interesting because I think manufacturers, well, we laugh at beta FPV, but they're probably uh, one of the easier manufacturers to get an answer from. We're looking at a lot of manufacturers here who supply Express LRS hardware, and most of them would never respond to questions. So I think it's people like you in the support channel that pretty much allow the project to work. Without you, it would peter out because people would never be able to get into it. To, to get started I mean what's what's quite interesting is um, to see and think about how many people are needing support um, versus just like doing doing a little bit of, of maths and uh, like interpolating uh, it up um, and thinking about how many people actually did get it to work without needing help, um, which is quite interesting if you think about it. Because, um, yeah, there are quite a lot of people that need help and support every day. Um, but way more people do, for way more people, it just works and they read the docs or I don't know, whatever. Um, and for them, it just works and they never come to the Discord and yeah. <laughs> I think we've got at least 10 different manufacturers listed on the website, and I think they've forgotten to mention a few, like iFlight isn't here. So there's something like, well, and yeah, the, the one I bought yeah. there either. So there's at least like 12, 13 yeah, different the, manufacturers alone, let alone the models. I mean, the, 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 best, the best thing where you can look it up is to uh, open the configurator and then look through all the device categories that they are. And yep. I can see Excess Flying, Beta FPV, uh, obviously DIY, and that's how the project has started. Um, Flywoo, FR Sky, Happy Model, HDLRC, High Younger, iFlight, Immersion RC, JMQ, Jumper, Matic, Nimimno, Neutron RC, Quadcopters, Radio Master, Siwi, Skystars, and Ventec. Yeah. So Ventec. that's like Let's 20. Vantech. Huh? Vantech. The FFI brand. Yeah. I'm for saying Namimno so well. I always stumble over that word. It's very hard to say. Oh, really? Okay. I, I, I've I, recorded videos of myself saying Namimno about 10 times. There's a lot of editing involved <laughs> in that video. Okay. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with it somehow. I don't know. <laughs> All right, don't lord it over me. Jeez, man. <laughs> I just like using FR Sky are making these things, but just under a slightly different name. I think that's priceless. But yeah. All, all in all, it's like, I don't know, 20 or so different manufacturers producing 2.4 gigahertz and some also 900 megahertz gears. So, yeah, there's a lot of possible hardware you can use. <laughs> And yeah, there might be a couple of people, maybe what fifty people coming to help and support a day. Oh, I can check. Oh, uh, okay. Probably select unique messages by user ID. Yeah, some <laughs> something like that. I don't know if. Yeah, but then considering the number of models that are on sale, it's a fairly impressive statistic. And uh, yeah, congratulations! Uh, yeah, helping the project out. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and well done for Stephen for managing to get live SQL queries on voice somehow into this podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, made you happy there. It's, get, it's getting geekier by the second, isn't it? Oh, dear. Yeah, unfortunately, it cannot use SQL queries in the Discord search uh, menu. That doesn't quite work. Well, we've been, we've been going for over an hour, so shall we wrap it up there, guys? Have, have we covered everything we wanted to cover? Yeah, I think that's pretty much everything, at cool. least from the LI side. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I'm just trying to get the time to actually install it on something so I can give it a go and see what happens. 
thanks so much to our patrons who support us and keep us going. Uh, and I suppose we should say thank you to Frank, who found some of the money <laughs> that was missing from from somewhere and transferred it. So we're we're good. We're good. We we can keep going this week. Hooray! Hooray for us. Um, anyway, this week. We've been joined by uh, special thanks to Commander Guy 3001, who told us some excellent stuff uh, about ELRS and what's coming. And uh, everyone should go and check it out if you haven't already. Give it a go because it's cheap and it's good. Down here, Definitely. we've got Stephen. Thank you. Put this together. Hello. Thank you. Goodbye. Our Canadian bacon over the side here, Cole. See ya. And I've been everybody's favourite, Carrie Kitten. And uh, you've been watching Let's Try Out. So see you next week, all. Thanks for joining. Telemetry lost.